All right? Are we ready? Okay. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome, everyone. Um, this is uh, How I Write. It's a series of conversations with people who write. Um, uh, but by that, uh, philosophy, physics, fiction, poetry, uh, chemistry. Uh, in the fall, uh, the next one we'll be doing will be with Ian Morris, who writes about, well, he's an archaeologist, he's a classicist, he's a historian, and he's a controversialist about civilization and its discontents. Um, and um, so that should be very interesting, and it's a kind of a, a certain mode, certain type of writing. I'm Hilton Obenzinger. Um, this has been going on for 12 years. Um, we still haven't run out of writers. Uh, and some of you out there can start working and we'll, we'll get you on the list. Um, and um, uh, I uh, teach in the American Studies program and the English department and continuing studies. Uh, and I also, uh, you know, part-time, I'm semi-retired now, uh, and I also work in this project called the Stanford Chinese Railroad Workers in North America project to actually document the history of the people who made this university possible, uh, built the railroad, the Transcontinental Railroad from which Leland Stanford got enormously rich. Um, and so uh, there, there's a lot of implications to it too and the university is fully behind it, uh, which is wonderful after so many 150 years it's time. <laughs> it's time for recognition and historical you know, accountability. Uh, for all of this. So, any case, so that's a, a project work, and I'm a writer uh, myself. So, okay, um, this is sponsored by uh, Continuing Studies uh, and the the Hume Center for Writing and Speaking. Um, so, now, um, the way that we do this is our uh, guest for the evening. Uh, Harriet, uh, I'll invite her after I introduce her to say anything she would like. Most of the time it's relevant. When I, when I ask people to do that, uh, sometimes people, as I told her, say, nah, just ask me some questions. And then other people have, uh, uh, you know, a 10-page paper. But most of the time it's five or, or ten minutes or something like that. Um, and... Um, uh, then we get into a conversation about writing. We, we'll focus in on the writing process. Of course, the things that people write about, that's important also. But we want to focus in on, on this whole process of writing. Um, and then after a while of doing that, we open it up for you to join the conversation. Now, we have mics. This is a small room. We probably don't need it for hearing each other. Uh, but we do record this on Stanford on iTunes, and you can, you know, go to Continuing Studies, go to the, the and get a link to the How I Write uh, page, uh, and you'll be able to listen to something like uh, 35 of the various conversations that we've had. Uh, some Diane Middlebrook, who's passed away. Uh, you know, to, to many, many uh, uh, people, uh, uh, Leonard Susskind, I don't know, just many just come to mind right now. It's, it's really an exciting crew. This is also part of a, of a, uh, a research project. Cool. I had to have uh, 
Harriet sign a consent form because uh, uh, human subjects protocol <laughs> requires it. It's quite funny. And I actually did a, a conversation with the person who was the head of human subjects protocol. It's a three-page form. And she said, who, who made you do this? This is ridiculous. And I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> no. But in any case, uh, I'm writing a book. In addition to the videos that you'll see, uh, if you go on the iTunes uh, or the audios, uh, and um, uh, about the different ways that people write. Um, so, uh, and it's wild because people are just, you know, are very, very different in the way they approach writing and, and how they feel about it and what happens when they get stuck or anything of that sort. So, um, so that's what that whole project is. So this evening, uh, uh, we'll be talking with Harriet Scott Chessman, who uh, is a novelist, although has also written uh, literary criticism or literary history, perhaps it would be better, um, and a really uh, outstanding novelist. Um, her uh, most uh, you know, recent book is uh, uh, The Beauty of Ordinary Things. Um, but her other novels are uh, not really her someone not really her mother, uh, Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper, Ohio Angels, uh, and um, I don't know how to describe uh, your novels except that nothing seems to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and everything seems to happen right at the same time uh, and you know if I were to try and describe this you know well you see there's this woman her her sister is a painter and she sits <laughs> and then you know and then once in a while Degas comes in you know what I mean yeah. but um, you know but uh, it's really uh, exciting uh, type of writing so um, uh, a fiction that that's really uh, uh, grabs you in this really kind of quiet way. So, Thank welcome. Thank you, Hilton. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. Uh, I actually realized I, I am quite interested in stasis, you know, in, in things, in, in stillness, uh, I should say. Okay. And, and I'm also always really interested somehow in setting myself a limit, uh, something hard like a central character who has, is losing her memory. And I really like to push against that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, was gonna, I didn't know I was supposed to say a few words at the beginning. It's good, because that would have made me more nervous. But uh, I think what I can say right off the bat is simply that um, I came to writing quite late, actually, um, as writing careers go. Um, it wasn't until I was about 40 or a little over 40 that I started writing fiction. And I actually first started writing for children. Um, this is something I, I absolutely love children's picture books. I think that they are such a wonderful genre. And it's so very hard to do, so hard to do it well. Um, so uh, I, I struggled with that. And I, I, I found a wonderful writing group in my hometown of Madison, Connecticut at the time. Um, wonderful, wonderful writers and illustrators. Uh, but in the midst of that, I will tell you how I started to write fiction for grown-ups. 
uh, it actually just came to me. It really did just come to me almost out of the blue or out of the gray because it was <laughs> Illinois. It was Illinois, Peoria, Illinois in about 1992. And I was visiting my grandmother who was beginning to lose her memory. Although it wasn't this book about someone, not really her mother yet, but anyway. My grandmother was beginning to lose her memory and, and she had a really kind of a frightened look in her face. And I think I started thinking then how each of us carries so many stories. And when we die, how, how do the stories get passed? on. Uh, I, I, I thought of this especially about my grandmother because she'd been an English teacher and um, she loved language. She loved words. Um, so I was not entirely having a wonderful time in Peoria and I was in a motel with my mom and dad and um, I was in my room and, I, and characters just came to me. That's how I first started writing uh, that kind of actual Fiction for grown-ups, I guess I would say. Um, it was um, two young women in their late 20s and early 30s first came to me, one of whom had stayed in her Ohio town and the other who had left and become an artist. Um, eventually, that did become my first novel, which was called Ohio Angels. Uh, and there was a very difficult central figure and a central relationship. And I knew that that was going to be there. But I cannot tell you the joy of those moments just getting something down on paper and thinking, what? What? This was never there before. And now, where did this story come from? I had no idea. And that is what I most love about writing, is that how things just do come to you if you let them. Um, and I was very surprised, actually. I think that's all I'll say at the beginning, okay. because Hilton's, Hilton is like the best, and I, I know I'm in good hands here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, well, you know, uh, he, he, there's a certain consistency in the types of narratives you do. I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, they revolve yeah. around women, uh, mostly although not exclusively. In yes. the last one, there's a certain Vietnam vet. They're all, they revolve around people who are changing. Oh. You know? Uh, a woman deciding to become a nun. Yep. You know, uh, and, you know. Uh, so I, I was just wondering, you know, how that came to you in that kind of way. And maybe you hadn't thought about it, but. Just, how the, 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 the how that kind the of uh, uh, that type of narrative came to you? Oh. I think I'm a very inward person. I, I think that I think a lot, uh, to a fault. I live a lot in my own mind, and so I think my characters tend to do that too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very baffled by life, as I guess most of us are. I'm baffled. By choices, I, I I have terrible regret sometimes, and I perseverate over over choices I've made in the past. So I'm always always interested in difficulties that come to people, 
I guess that's what I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I don't, I don't usually think of the difficulty first, though. Usually it's the character who comes to me first, and I have to figure oh. out their difficulty. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think if I, if I just had a free reign and could write whatever I wanted and people would just think it was fantastic, I would just write descriptions mm -hmm. and, and moments of stillness and beauty and something meaningful. I guess what I'm saying is if I could only do it, I would, I would write poetry more. Um, but I'm really drawn to trying. It's a, always a challenge to me to create story, mm -hmm. to create a story. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you, uh, you kind of did that in terms of description with uh, Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper. Yes. And how did that come to you? You've, you saw there's like five paintings, I think, that yes. you describe and for her sitting yes. for each of those paintings. So did you... Did you see the paintings first and then no. say, ah? Uh, some of them I knew. I didn't know all of them. But actually, I have to, I have to say that this particular book, mm -hmm. this is Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper, um, which came out in 2001. <laughs> yeah. Uh, originally, in the 1980s, I was working on a scholarly project uh, uh -huh. about Mary Cassatt, the American Im Impressionist painter. And it was, it was to be a book called, actually it was going to be with Stanford Press, oh, yeah. uh, with Helen Tarter, who, who was my yeah. editor. And um, it was to be called something like The Mother's Body. I was very interested in mothers and their relationship to children and the ways in which their bodies became a kind of landscape. So I left academics. I was kicked out of academics. And, and it took me a while to fall on my feet. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> right. Well, ultimately, I think it was a good thing for me. But um, in that fall, uh, after I sort of landed, I started realizing, oh my gosh, that is amazing material about Mary Cassatt. But it took me a long time to figure out which story, how I could create a story out of some of her paintings. So I would say, it was her paintings that primarily drew me. And then I had to figure out which ones. And I started realizing there was this quiet figure in her life, her sister, who was dying of a kidney disease and, and who, became, who was one of her earliest and most important models. And because there was so little written about her sister, I, started, I had a pretty open field in that sense. And that, that was really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a long time to inhabit that character, Lydia. Mm -hmm. It did. I actually tried different voices. I tried Mary Cassatt's voice. I tried f about four other voices Whoa. before I found Lydia's voice. Well, as long as we're then in, uh, uh, whoops, uh, someone, not really her mother, the, uh, the grandmother is um, suffering from Alzheimer's. Yes. And we were just joking about it before because, you know, anyone who might right. understand that, well, can't remember. Uh, exactly. You know, I mean, you, you, uh, you know exactly. how, did you, how, how did you inhabit mm. that character? Actually, it was all too easy. <laughs> it was all too easy. Uh, for one thing, some of the chapters about that central character, Hannah, who's mm -hmm. losing her memory, 
it came around the time when I had just moved to Palo Alto, and I actually found myself on a street corner a couple of times. I was, you know, in my thoughts. This was before I was walking with my friend Carol and our dog, so I didn't have anyone to guide me. And I looked up, and I was like, where am I? Where am I? I had no idea. I knew I was in Palo Alto, but I, I couldn't figure out where I was. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, something that I have always found very, not easy, but really I relish is to imagine being someone else. Mm. I really, really love that. So that, that, yeah. that helped you? Yes. In that, I in think that, that really helped me. I have to say also I originally was thinking of my grandmother who was losing her memory. And as I wrote this book, Someone Not Really Her Mother, um, my mother-in-law started developing Alzheimer's. So unfortunately, I actually had an amazing, beloved model for that character, mm. but I had not wished for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was then, hard. Then let me ask you, I'll, I'll shift a little bit, uh, and it, it, this kind of stillness style that you have, yeah. how did you develop this as a style, a style of writing? Uh, Hilton, that's a good question. Well, you know, I'm just curious about it. I actually, <laughs> if you don't have an answer, that's all right. <laughs> I don't think I did develop it consciously. Uh -huh. okay. I think that the voices I tend to create seem to just come out of me. Mm -hmm. Does that right. make yeah. sense? So you felt a kind of a natural yes. uh, 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 ghost coming out of you. You know, someone, yes. a being. Yes. Uh, of taking your voice. Do you ever feel in doing that that uh, that voice takes over you? I, I had the feeling when I was writing about Hannah Pearl, who had lost her memory and who had, whose family especially, but she too had suffered during the, the Holocaust. Um, I actually had an eerie feeling sometimes when I was writing about her. The, the eerie feeling was just I, I, I started to believe she had existed. Mm. I wasn't, I, it's just that, that came to me. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't worry me, but I just felt no. sometimes that I was being told what to write. So you felt like she was yes. telling uh, you. I felt there was a presence telling me. I did. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, did. I didn't go around talking about it. But now that I'm talking to you, Hilton. <laughs> right, the, the book is out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm still here. Yeah, right. And, uh, right. And, and also, uh, it's fine if someone talks to you. It depends what yes. they have to say, right? Yes, so, that's so right. true. Right. It's, it's so true. Many people, they, people talk to them, but it's not very happy. You know, the hardest, the hardest person so far uh -huh. to enter into was, this, was Lydia Cassatt. Oh, really? Yes, and I, if I have notes where I can go back and see, I would very frustrated and I'd say, why can I not inhabit her? Uh -huh. What is she thinking? What does she want? Mm -hmm. But I think that's partly because she, Lydia was a character, was a person very accommodating to everyone around her, a little bit like me in a certain way, and she found it very hard to listen to herself. So, as I do, mm -hmm. uh, in my real life. Maybe that's why I like fiction, actually, I, because I can listen to other people so well. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Now, uh, the... Uh, now, you have friends who were nuns. Yes. Right? 
So, so you were able to use that. But what about in the uh, you know the more recent novel? You have this uh, Vietnam vet. It takes place in the early seventies. Yes. Yes. But you have this uh, Vietnam vet, which is a very different character than the ones that you've dealt with in, yes. the, in the two other novels. Yes, very different. This character, Benny <laughs> Benny Finn, is uh -huh. from a, excuse me, <coughs> is from a large Irish Catholic family in Boston. I I did have some models in mind. Um, in, in, I was very close to a family who was a large Irish Catholic family, in fact, in Boston at that time. But I did not know anyone um, very closely who had gone to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I was actually quite worried about that. And in the earlier drafts of the book, I actually, I actually didn't know Benny had gone to Vietnam. That mm. came later. Oh, okay. I think in a sense, here, in fact, this is a good example of how I seem to work. Benny himself came to me, and my sense of his, him being a person who was struggling, but I wasn't sure why. So in a way, my writing process is a, is a way of writing towards understanding the why. Mm -hmm. okay. And then I try to go where I can. Uh -huh. And then you, you go back and... So then I go, not, back. Right? I go back. I go back daily. Oh, okay. Yes. I'll, I'll ask you about that in a. In a it's very inefficient in a process. Well. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll ask you some. Uh, well, first of all, I'll ask you another one about style. You wrote earlier a scholarly book about Gertrude Stein. Yes. Now. I didn't get a chance to read that, but I oh, could gosh, see. <laughs> well, I, I like Gertrude Stein, as too. crazy as she is. Yeah. But uh, um, I could see, in some ways, the influence of Gertrude Stein. Oh, you could. Well, tell you know, me about uh, that. <laughs> I love that. Well, there's <laughs> no, I'm not, serious. Not in the uh, obvious way that you think of Gertrude Stein as this baffling, you know, uh, but of the kind of stripped down. Language. Yes, right? that's true. Did, did, so, were you uh, kind of aware of that? No, influence? not at okay. all. I all right. will tell you, one of my favorite novels in the world is Ida. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It starts. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna flub it. Uh -huh. Something like it starts with Ida, and once Ida was born, with her was born her twin. So there, there, there they, there she was, Ida, Ida. Uh -huh. <laughs> And uh -huh. I just, I loved, I think I loved the freshness of Stein's voice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay, well, I was just... The imaginativeness. Know. Yeah. The yeah. kind of just out there quality. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't have the, the kind of the linguistic... Uh, no. Whatever Pyrotechnics. you want to call it. Yeah, right. But, uh, but it's that something about that stripped down feel that I got uh, in, in, the, in the prose. That's interesting. That is interesting. Uh -huh. Well, let me switch gears and ask you nut, nuts and bolts questions. Okay. Where do you write? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh -huh. uh, I'm a bit of a nomad. Uh -huh. I, I have, I, in graduate school, I had an, a room to write in. But ever since then, I have not had a dedicated room. Uh -huh. And I really like not have, I, I don't, I've never heard other people say this, but maybe a lot of people do secretly feel this way. But I love to just decide which, which space in a house I will write in. Sometimes it's hard to figure out, and sometimes it doesn't actually work. So, mm -hmm. But um, like I love writing at my dining table. Mm -hmm. um, we have a loft space in our house that 
w is very good. The only trouble is I'm not so good at writing when other people are in the house. Uh -huh. So that's why I've written only four novels. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, that's why not, <laughs> a lot of people don't visit you in your house. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so, okay, so um, do you write? In a cafe, in a library? No, never. A, no, in oh, your house? No, no. yes. I, okay. I, I, I admire, I, sometimes I think I envy people who can write anywhere, like in a cafe. Or, mm -hmm. But I don't understand that because I, I really have to hear, as I said, I find it very hard to hear myself think anyway. Mm -hmm. So I have to like turn up the volume mm -hmm. so that I can hear myself. And I could never do that when I'm interested in what people are saying oh, yeah. next to me. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or the, the woman who comes up to order the such and such or the, or the person with the dog. Uh, it's just all too wonderful and uh -huh. too distracting. Uh -huh. And oh, I... Okay. Mm -mm. Now, do, uh, uh, do you write by hand? Do you write on a computer? No. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. I could not. I, uh, uh, I, I should say, actually, I do take notes by hand. Uh, usually, I really like to have, I'm a little bit obsessive about this. I can't always find the right kind of journal. It has to be blank oh, pages. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it to be about this big. I like it to be colored. Like, yellow is one of my favorite colors. Um, and I like it to be good paper, and I often can't find what I'm looking for, yeah, but yeah, I make yeah. do with other things. Yeah. But I do, it's like sketching. I think it's a bit like sketching. If I'm really trying to get past myself and jot down mm -hmm. what, what I'm, especially if I'm building towards a story or if I'm having trouble with a story, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm just stuck, that's when I turn to my hand. Mm -hmm. It just, it gets around something because it's true that when you're typing, it has to look real. And even notes, I don't like typing notes because mm -hmm. that looks too official. Mm. Yeah. All my research I do by hand. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people feel that way because the computer makes it look like it's already published. Yes. In which case, uh, it's not good enough to be published. Yes. I mean, I, I'm, yes. I, I can't screw around because yes. it's, it's, it looks too good. So handwriting is, for a lot of people, I yes. think that, that's the case. I um, think that's true. But now, you, you kind of indicated some of this, uh, what happens when you get stuck. And so you uh, turn to the notebook. Yes. I, I Actually, I, I often just take a break. I just... I, I, <laughs> this one in this book, someone not really her mother, mm -hmm. when I had one character not be able to, um, she, she was standing, it was Hannah who had lost her memory and she was in this drugstore in Connecticut looking at Valentine's Day cards and cards about sisters and mothers and she had actually lost so many people in her life and I couldn't, I myself couldn't write that chapter for about four months. Mm. So I just left the book for four months. And I did do a lot more reading. I did a lot more reading about the mm -hmm. kinder transport and I just did what I could. And I watched uh -huh. some films, I thought. Yeah. And then I came back and then I, I, I just bullied my way through that scene. Uh -huh. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting place to get stuck. Yeah, it mm. was really the heart of it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hadn't realized that when I started the book. Again, I had not realized I, ha I had not realized, you, you might laugh at this, but that, that particular book originated in a 10-page short story 
by a woman who had lost her memory. I mean, not by, but it was her voice. And it was a story without a story. In other mm -hmm. words, it had glimmers of a story. And I got so, this is why I think I'm a novelist more than a short story writer, because I got so interested in what her story had been that I just started to try to dig down. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Now, so, so that kind of gives me a sense that when you start something, you're not quite sure where it's going to end up. Yes, you would be right. Yeah, yeah. When I start something, I am, when I really start it, when I first conceive of the idea, I usually have no idea where it will end up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, before, I've, before I start actually writing any words, I think I know where it will end up. But I do not plot things out really, really carefully. Mm -hmm. I guess if you've, if you've read any of my stuff, you'd probably nod your head and say, yes, she doesn't plot it out. It doesn't feel mm -hmm. plotted. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, some people, uh, they have to know the ending before they can begin. I know. Some people are like that in, in what they write. And well, there's no and, rule And sometimes it. I've been wrong about the ending. And then I've been wrong in such a way. And I was so bullheaded about it that I couldn't finish the book for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Benny Finn, in this one, The Beauty of Ordinary Things, mm -hmm. I thought he was going to become a priest. And oh. he just, there was just no way he was going to become a priest. I, and, I, and it was sort of like I was just butting heads with him. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. I was really trying to squeeze him into something. I had this vision. It, it, it was just a vision for him. And he just was having none of it. Yeah. Well, he became fact, a gardener, which is almost the same thing. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He worked in a sheepfold. Right. Right. That 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 will do it. Yeah. Right? So. I think he is a priest in a different way, in right. just the sense that, in the in the best sense of the of the that mm -hmm. concept. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Let's let's open it up for everyone else, you know, to join the conversation. Now, I'd love I'm to hear going to. Uh, uh, is this on? Yeah, I don't need to turn it on. Um, you know, I'll give this to the first person, and if you don't steal it, you can give it to the next person, uh, and that way, again, we can hear each other. I'm I'm pretty sure in this room, um, but um, we want to get everything on re the recording, so. Ah, how convenient I can just <laughs> lean over. Yeah. So you can't write when people are in the house, yes. but you're married and have children? Yes, and there so, you see my problem. And, and you, I didn't hear that one. You're married and have children. Okay, yes. Yeah. So uh, do you have a specified time to write during the day when they're out of the house? Yes. Well, uh, now my children are all grown, but when I started writing... Um, a couple of them were pretty young. Well, one of them wasn't even born. So um, I tend to write best in the mornings anyway. It, it takes me a lot of hemming and hawing and sort of cleaning the kitchen counter. I, but I consider that writing too. As you're moving around and sort of preparing, I feel that that's preparation for mm -hmm. sure. For me it is. It's, a, it's a, a, an entering into the space mm -hmm. of writing. And um, long about 10.30, if, if I can just write a sentence, I'm OK. And then, and then I'll be OK till about 12.30 or so. 
I don't tend to write that many hours, but I will tell you when I really know what I'm doing, this is the, one of the most exciting times when I really have done so many revisions and drafts and I, and I suddenly go, oh my heavens, why didn't I see this? This is what this is about. Then I'm going very quickly. Then I don't even notice what's happening around me, I have to tell you. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that I gave my children dinner and things like that, but, um, but, but um, I, I remember the most recent one, they were, the, my youngest was 17 by then, so he was fine. But uh, I just, just for two days or so. And that's rare, very rare for me. I tend to, I tend to limit my, my writing time to mid-morning, to mid-afternoon. Mm. Yeah. This is a big issue of writing is with kids issue. around in various different ways. Um, uh, um, Estelle Friedman grew up, her mother was a writer, and there was tremendous resentment oh, that she would close the door oh. and they couldn't get in. Uh, Nancy Packer, uh, the kids would come in and they would sit on her lap, pull out the typewriter, you know what I mean? Oh. And she just kind of let that happen until, you know, and they, of course they became writers, so what the... Yes. But um, uh, Adam Johnson had to promise his kids, Adam Johnson, who's an uh, uh, orphan master's son, yeah. um, uh, had to promise his kids that he wouldn't write again because they resented it so much oh. that he would lock himself up in this room in the house. Oh. That's yeah, right. I know, I don't. Well, uh, but so, so he lied to them. So, <laughs> he lied to them. Uh, what he does is that he goes uh, to the library uh, in UCSF yeah. on the top of uh, beautiful, I would never be able to write there. It's a, such a beautiful view yeah. that I would just go, so, oh. But um, but you know so they don't think he's writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh. Gita, how many uh, projects do you have in your head at any one time? For example, as you're finishing a book, do you ever think about the next one, or do you have to have that space afterwards to mm. let something new come That's into being? That's such a great question. Um, and does that get terrifying if there's a big space? <laughs> you know, actually, right now, I have no project in mind. And it's actually wonderful. <laughs> I, I, it's wonderful for now, but it might be partly because so much else is happening in my life right now. Um, often, when I start to get an idea for another project, I'm very happy, though, because it means that the project I'm working on is coming to an end. It's almost like a sign that uh, if I can be thinking about something else, this one will get done. That I, do, I guess I see it that way. Um, I do have projects that are on the shelf right now. That's a little bit different. I'm a little worried about going back to them because um, especially one, I just, I love this project, but um, it just didn't work. And so I'm, I'm happy to have it. I just don't think I'm ready for it. It's mm -hmm. a project that involves Edgar Degas in New Orleans, and mm -hmm. I couldn't find my story. It's partly that the history itself is so fascinating to me. And I do have, this is another of my uh, limit, not limitation, but my, 
things I have to bump up against is I, I'm kind of a scholar at heart too. I was really trained as a scholar originally and I have to kind of mute that a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds to me as though you really need to go spend some time in <gasps> New Orleans. And you know, <laughs> actually, I think that might help. I do. I've had various friends say that. Mm -hmm. Great excuse. I'm, yeah, sure exactly. I'm sure you had to spend some time in Paris to do Yeah. This. No, no. I, I wish. Okay. Uh, we've talked about short books, you and I. Yes. Uh, a master of the short book. Yeah. Another, to a master of the short yeah. book. But I've wondered, in my case, whether it's a matter of incapacity <laughs> or principle. Yes. <laughs> that, yes, I wonder that, this that, all the time, Bliss. And, and so what's your answer? To oh, man. I actually, uh, tr truly, I, I actually think the, the novella is one of the forms that works best with me. Um, and I, I, I love reading shorter books. Um, I, but I, I do think, sometimes I wish I could write more. And you know, I have to, I have to say, agents and editors try to get you to write more. But it, 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 if it doesn't work with you, it doesn't work with you. I mean, with this one, uh, someone not really her mother, um, oh, no, actually it was this one, The Beauty of Ordinary Things, too. Um, a couple of agents tried to get me to add more, just 30,000 more words. Like, just 30,000 words, that's a lot of words. For someone like, see, that's like for me, for them, piece of cake. But, um, uh, and I added them on, and that's exactly what my most recent editor, who took on this project, took out. 30,000, oh, how many words is this one? Oh. I forget. It's about 36,000. About. So double the size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It might be 40,000. You, kind of, you, you kind of raised something, though, about you know, shelving books. And yes. you had kind of referred to it before about revision. Yes. So uh, do you go through extensive revision? Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I, I revise. Actually, I have to say, when I'm really writing, when I'm really working on a project, I revise every day. I revise as, going as I go. If I'm jumping back in, I have to start somewhere, mm -hmm. and I revise as I go to get a running leap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then I do bigger revisions. But too. the bigger revisions, yes. like, well, you know, this actually belongs at the beginning. Yes. Type thing, or yes. That sort of restructuring and. Yes. Okay. So. That takes a long time in your process? Yes, it takes a long time. And I've been really lucky to have some wonderful readers, and that has helped hugely. Because you can't always see what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know. And those readers are good friends or also well, editors? there's one reader right here, uh, well, Carol. but Carol. editors in the sense of uh, your, Editors uh, also. So good friends yes. is important. Good Definitely. friends who are writers, who are good writers. friends who are not writers, yes. right? Yes, yes. Also, but uh, yes. what about editors? I had a wonderful editor for someone not really her mother. Uh, her name was Trina Keating. And actually, she started out at Stanford Press. Mm -hmm. um, now she's an agent. Mm -hmm. But um, she, she was wonderful. She would make big suggestions and tiny. But her big one was, 
one of the chapters out of seven chapters, she felt it should actually not be from a child's point of view, but from another character's point of view. And she was really right. But it took me about three months to absorb what she was saying. And then I wrote that, rewrote that chapter in about a month. Mm -hmm. that, she was very, she was a really wonderful editor because she was courageous and she listened carefully to the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and she, was, she was courageous and she, she didn't at that time care about the commercial aspect. Um, mm -hmm. That's, that's she what was, I felt. She was uh, uh, looking at the artistry. Yes, she was and definitely looking at it. the commercial aspect, we'll look at it later. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I've actually been very, very lucky in my editors. None of them have pressed uh -huh. me to, to create something too commercial. Well, you know, I, I, I guess don't that's know good. exactly. I don't know if that's good. <laughs> but someone might, not really her mother, is a good morning America. I know. Read this. I know. So... That, was that must have been good sales, right? That was wonderful. Actually, right. I think that I was lucky because um, uh, a wonderful bookstore in my town of Madison, Connecticut, mm -hmm. the head of it w was uh, ch championed this book. Oh, okay. For that. To them? Yes. Good Morning America? Oh, great. Yes. Tell There's me who they are when yes. I come out with my next <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'd be interested, uh, you just uh, uh, let the issue of, of your commercial responsibilities go. Yes. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this and how it might impact your writing, setting uh, deadlines for publishers and that sort of thing? Mm. Do you mean, should you say a little more about that? Well, uh, to what extent uh, do you get involved with marketing the books? Uh, do you go oh. on a book tour? Uh, oh, once they're published? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, yes, increasingly. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, uh, authors have to do this so much more than ever before. Mm -hmm. Well, it depends. It depends. But um, with this most recent book, this came out with a very, very small press in Portland, Oregon, a wonderful independent press called Atelier 26. And... Um, the editor and founder of this has helped me enormously, also acted for me getting this book out into the world. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, I, I was helped enormously in that way. What do you mean helping to get the book out in the world? Oh. What, what, do you, what do you feel your responsibilities are as the author? Uh, for marketing the book, getting it out in the world, to use uh, your terminology. Well, what, well, what he did, what, he did many, many things, but it, I think it's sort of, you know, to get the, the book into the hands of booksellers, into the hands of reviewers, if possible, um, radio shows, this, that, this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a question of letting friends and writers that, I admire, know about the book, and that kind of thing. Um, oh, and then you made appearances on radio shows. Mm. Yes, yes, I made sir. appearances on radio shows. Mm -hmm. I, the thing is, I'm, I'm always very happy to do that kind of mm. thing. I love talking to people, and I love that space of conversation. Yeah. 
I'm not so great at Twitter and things like that. I just think I'm, I'm a little too old. I don't really understand how Twitter works, but I, I think it's a fascinating, I, I watch my children and I think they're very, especially one of them is very deft with that. Yeah. Well, you'll have to learn about search engine optimization somewhere. Ah, yeah. uh, if you can teach me that, I hope you will. I, well, I, I yeah. wish I could teach no, myself. What you got to do is, is hire your children. Yes. To do it for you. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. There we go. Oh, there we go. Hi. Hi. Um, when and how did you start believing in yourself as a writer? That's such a good question. You know, I think very, very deep down, privately, I always believed in myself as a writer from the time I was quite small. But it was more a matter of when would I decide that that inner private feeling could be acknowledged and, and actually would be able to hold up somehow that, that I, it's hard, to, it's hard to express it, but I think maybe you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, that day in Peoria when I started writing things down, I thought, this is amazing. I have this capacity. And I hadn't known that. Um, it was a confirmation. I, and I had always loved writing. I've always loved words. And so I, I felt, I've always felt confident in myself as someone who could read very carefully and, and love reading and, you know, just relish words. Yeah. But uh, in terms of my confidence in the largest way, I'm not always confident at all. I'm very self-doubting often, but I think that I still have that core sense of belief that if, if I can put my shoulder to the wheel, um, if I can just have, give myself a chance, something interesting can come out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 let's get the, oh, mic <laughs> let's get the microphone. That's such a good question. Let's get the microphone. We want to get it on the tape. What is your favorite word? What's my favorite, favorite word? Oh my goodness. My favorite word? I'll tell you, the, f the word that first comes to me actually is love. Love has to be my favorite word. Um, the word I use way too much is wonderful. Yeah. But I love so many words. Yeah. That's a great question. What, in the back there? Love. Hi. Uh, Hi. It sounds like a lot of your books involve a lot of research into a character. Yes. And you're talking about how they speak through you sometimes. Yeah. I was wondering if you've ever written something that's very drawing from past your own experience or if, or if your own experiences get into those characters. Definitely. Definitely. That's a good question. They, they, each character I've ever written actually draws probably quite richly on, on my own experience. But sometimes I don't see that at first. So for example, with the Lydia Cassatt book, I, I, I remember saying to my friend, actually the friend who's a nun, um, 
saying, yes, I, I was so happy to write this book. It was my second book, because my first one, Ohio Angels, had actually been very, very based on my childhood, my mother. It was way too close. I, I, I often have wished that, I can't really wish that. I, I honor the fact that I did it, but I think that it was a little too close to my actual experience, unfiltered. Un let, me, let me back up and put it this way. Nothing in the book was factually true about my life, but it was very emotionally true. And I was so aware of that. So with the Lydia Cassatt book, the next one, I was so proud of myself to write something, you know, ah, oh, 19th century, across the ocean. And I did that so that, because something I should have said before was I came to writing late and I was never taught writing. In other words, I was always teaching myself. So I thought, ah, 19th century, you know, France, you know, this will not be in any way like my, my life. Uh, and my friend who's the nun just looked at me and said, Harriet, I think there's a lot of you in this character of Lydia. <laughs> she just laughed at me, you know. No, she laughed with me. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard, though, I will say, because uh, the character in this one that I was actually closest to in some ways, Isabel, um, was the hardest one to write. If someone gets too close to, to who I am, it's harder. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really nice hearing you talk about this. Um, I'm going to ask you a question about style. Yes. Um, I'm teaching a course on Emerson this quarter. Oh, and wonderful. Emerson, I love Emerson, too. Emerson is a sentence writer. Yes. He writes gorgeous sentences. And um, I also read Julian Barnes a lot, who I admire tremendously. Yes. He's a paragraph writer. And sometimes I finish a paragraph of his, and I want to read the whole thing over again, just because it's so beautiful. His musical phrase, I think, is paragraph built. Wow. If, I don't know if that's a fair distinction, but if it is, are you a sentence writer or are you a paragraph writer? And I get a couple questions in here, sorry. Squeeze Ooh. another one in. Whichever one you are, from your most recent book, could you read some of the oh. ones that you think worked best? Whoa, Charlie. <laughs> he, he was a plant. Uh, I know. <laughs> is that true? No. Uh, I'm, I think I'm, I think I am a paragraph writer. If I had to choose between a sentence writer and a paragraph writer. Um, yes, I think I would say that. Um, I actually, I don't know. I think I can choose, I think I can choose something quickly. Let's see. Sorry, space here. I'm looking for, mm, Hilton, do you have a sense of, oh, here's Which this one. Here's, 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 here's two paragraphs, actually. So I suppose I'm sometimes a. Should tell us where one ends and the other begins? <laughs> no, or don't? Oh, actually, yeah. You listen, and, and this is just one page, but, but you can listen for where the one paragraph ends and the other begins. It's in a chapter in Benny Finn's voice called, Wish You Were Here. I've been realizing recently, there's no way I can tell this story with total truthfulness. I mean, I can only see what's happened really from my own point of view. I'd have to get out of myself, 
see from a much greater distance to look at the whole truth of it, and I doubt that's humanly possible. Once in a while, though, these days, I can almost understand how Sister Claire and Isabel and Liam and I would be part of some much bigger picture from God's point of view. I can almost imagine God catching me up by my shirt tail, lifting me above my own house and city and country, high above the earth. I can picture, just for a golden second, how huge and complicated the world is, how impossible to count all its stories. That's a big relief. It almost gives you the benefit of jumping out of the world while still being in it. But it's humbling, too, because of course, you always think your own story is so central, so wildly important. And anyway, you know it best. Yeah. That does sound kind of like one paragraph. <laughs> and I doubt that's humanly possible. Once in a while, though, that was the, yeah. yeah. I do think, I suppose that's interesting. I, it's funny, Gertrude Stein always said, you can tell what a paragraph is by listening to a dog lapping water. And it's so true, because a dog goes like this. A dog goes. And, and the stop, and that's what I love about Stein, because she had just sense of sound, just the sound of the dog. Yeah. And also the emotion. Like a, a paragraph is an emotion. It's it's the bringing of of, a, of a, an arc to an emotion. Mm -hmm. Yes, it lands somewhere, or it should land somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a nut for blank spaces too, because if you have a if you're lucky enough to get a good landing, and then you can have a blank space. Ah, <laughs> I just like yeah. that, and that's I like that. It's just I, I just like it. I like mm -hmm. it when I read it and I enjoy it. Yeah, you have it. that a lot in uh, someone not yes. really her mother, and yes. and you don't have to. You ha you're not obligated. Yes. To just jump to the next, you know, smoothly no. go on to the next thing. You can. No, and actually that links to something else I should mention. When I said I like stillness, I, I, have, I didn't realize this about myself at first, but I do think I'm a very contemplative writer. And I think it's very important to me in life and in writing, it just seems important to me to have moments of breathing. So mm -hmm. I want to breathe. I need to breathe as a writer, and I, I want... Mm -hmm. I want there to be breath in the reader, too. I want something to sink in. And actually, I have to say, this goes very against a lot in the culture. And I think about my children growing up in this culture. I'm sure there, there are, is great depth possible, but I think that it's harder to find it. It's harder to find a moment of depth and solitude and contemplativeness, um, contemplation. But. Mm -hmm. And you, you want to also, Gertrude Stein said, "Writing is a is the daily miracle," and I that's something I I, I, I cherish that idea, the daily miracle. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned children's books at the beginning. Yeah. Have you thought about going back to that? Oh yes, I have. Actually, I tried to publish a couple of them a, a few years ago. Um, Yes, that actually, when, when someone was saying before, do you have a thought in your mind, I do have a, some, a couple of ideas for children's books. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. 
Do you write children's books? I try. But you have yeah. such inner joy that I, I think that would be wonderful in children's literature. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, thank you very much for that. But, you know, it's funny because some, something I have gotten from some editors is um, this is very classic, but in today's overcrowded picture book market, this is real editor speak, it's, you know, we want something with more, ah, uh, what's the, uh, well, action, but also just more pizzazz, yeah. So if I go back, something that appeals to the parents, Mm, I think it's more that they want something more um, jazzy. So if I go back, I'm actually going to try that. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of maybe the difference between uh, Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Yes. And the original Pinocchio. Uh, yes. uh, what's his name? Titolini? Is that oh, his name? Yes. Which I read to my son. And it's a shocking book. It is a shocking and, book. And Peter he, Pan is like that and too. And he loved it. He loved it. Oh. Right. So uh, and you know Walt Disney. Yes. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the dark. It's the dark. Yes. So yes. that might be it too. Yes. Right? So where the wild well, things I, are. It's also true that I, I have a bit of a melancholy streak. I mean, I may not seem that way to you today, but <laughs> my family knows it. But um, but I think that. Uh, uh, the melancholy and lyrical often go together, and I think children's picture books don't have that as much anymore. Mm. Um, but I'm thinking, Good Night Moon. It mm -hmm. has a little bit of touch of wonderful melancholy to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have a question. So you talked about the characters sort of appearing in your life, or you're hearing their voice and you know inspecting their story and finding it. I'm wondering if you sometimes have things happen in real life or little vignettes and you, you know, as writers kind of do, you kind of hear yourself talking in your head and you have a little thing that feels like it might make a good, you know, do you hang on to those? Those are the little things I write down and then I never oh, find the story. But I'm wondering so if- You're so good to write those down. Yeah. No, I always- I, You're so good to put them together. No, no, at least, at least three. <laughs> Three to five times a day, I go, oh my gosh, that would make such a good story. And I'm going to remember that. Um, but And do you ever insert them no, into something? No, they don't come no, back to No, I never do. But, but here's what I do think. I do believe that um, when something is necessary, it will be to hand. So I, I really just believe that. And it's always in the moment of writing. That, so... It just seems to work that way for me. Mm -hmm. So I actually think I might be tucking things away but not remembering them consciously, and then they do emerge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some, someone else? Oh, oh you guys are up very up patient. Well, we'll, we'll take That's a few a, more yeah. questions before we pass out. All right. <laughs> We're going to just start lying on the floor here, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I um, want to ask you, um, how do the titles of your books come to you, oh. and what is the relationship? What is the thread between the title and maybe a nerve of the book? Ooh, that's a good question. In each case, it was different. In a, a, at least, mm, in almost, the only book I've published so far 
um, for which I was allowed to keep my title was Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper. And I was so grateful to this publisher of Permanent Press on Long Island um, because they accepted so much that was in the book. And Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper? Really? But uh, so, no, Ohio Angels, actually, I should not say that. Ohio Angels, they also accepted, but I actually liked my first title a little better. So I was second guessing myself. Um, Mm. The Beauty of Ordinary Things is my title, and I am happy to have it, but I always, in my own ear, I hear an earlier title that I had, which was Benny Finn Writes to God. Uh, and I always um, have been unsure. I think I myself may prefer Benny Finn Writes to God, but I think that I hear that title differently than other people might hear it. And so I think the beauty of ordinary things might appeal in a different way, a larger way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think people who might not want to read a book that has God in the title uh, might not pick up the book. And so I just, I, I shouldn't have said, I, I, it was actually me. I myself made that choice. <laughs> yeah, I myself, it was I myself. Ah, mm -hmm. for someone not really her mother, that title came from my editor because it was a phrase in the book. Mm -hmm. And I loved it as soon as she said it, but my original title was Once Something, mm -hmm. uh, which came out of a Robert Frost poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, th I love that title, Once Something. But again, who's gonna pick up a book that says <laughs> Once Something's like, whoa. <gasps> there, uh, someone else passed by. There, there are some writers that I've talked with who cannot write their book until they've gotten their title. They, and, yes, and I'm, over I'm, and over and over again, they, they work on the title. Yes, I like so, that too. Which I guess is like figuring out the book. Definitely, it's it like by, figuring out the I book. I gotta know what the title is. Definitely. So. And it, it's, it's kind of strange it, to me. No, no, it makes sense. And I'm always fiddling with titles as I go. Uh -huh. But I do feel it's almost like creating the umbrella for your picnic. Uh -huh. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way. Yeah. yeah. Okay, speaking of um, umbrellas, um, I am uh, concerned about if you take pieces from your own life, um, that yes. is kind of your umbrella, your structure. And how much of that do you feel beholden to be truthful to, or do you just throw that stuff away and ride? Oh, because you sometimes mean when you take something from your own life right. and you are weaving it into your fiction, right? How or structuring true to be? or actually structuring your fiction around the truth. Oh, see, this is actually what I did in my first novel in some ways, and I wish I hadn't. Be I wish it's hard. It's very hard because it's almost it's, it's where fiction gets very close to memoir. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start having that feeling, then you almost have to take a, a big step back often. At least I, have, I, I should say I would take a big step back and try to decide is how close to my life do I want this to be. And if I don't want it to be that close, then take some more time maybe. Or if you can't, think how you can believe so much in the fiction, in the fictional world, and make it the most real and the most present 
to your mind as you're writing that hopefully it will come out. It's hard to write fiction when it really overlaps. Um, we can talk about this more, though. This is, I know this is a specific question based on a book that well, there, Carol Bumpus is writing. But also, writing about your own life, have you taken things about your life that are kind of uncomfortable, ugly, and, and, and then run with it, even though mm. it's not you, it's you taking it and, and dealing not so, with it? I, I haven't okay. really. Right. I haven't well, really. Some, peop some people like to do that. <laughs> What's interesting is I know what this question comes out of, uh -huh. I, I happen to know, is, is a, 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 an actual journey that involved, oh, okay. that involved a discovery uh, about family. Mm. And, and yet it's become fictionalized. Mm -hmm. It's hard, it's hard, but it's a wonderful challenge. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think we've got a couple more questions. Yeah, I have, um, my question is, is, in this, is in a similar uh, vein. It's about the uh, about the intersection of life and fiction. Have you ever used fiction to work out a real life problem? Oh, wow! I I have two answers to that. I think for me, fiction always is a way to work out real life problems, questions, worries, fears anxieties, wishes, uh, but I so far have not mm, actually regrets. I think I have sometimes folded in some of my own very serious regrets into each book, mm. uh, but they're so private they're, they're almost so private, I can't remember that original mm. thing. But I, I, it, yeah. And I think if there isn't something that is that deep, then the book won't work for me. Mm -hmm. mm. There's one more, Let's, and that'll be our last one. Yeah. You've written a lot of stories on people who have diseases and. Yeah. Like, uh, have you ever thought of writing any stories with different genres, like mystery? Oh, I wish I could write mystery. You know, I I haven't thought about writing in the mystery genre partly because I I don't know that genre well enough. If I did decide that that would be really fun to do, I'd have to I'd get to really steep myself and into a, and read a lot of mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, I have friends who love mysteries, and they're very intricate to write. But, but I, I, I know a couple of writers who love, who love figuring out the puzzle of that. Mm -hmm. I do write poetry um, pretty privately. I, I've sent a few poems out, but not so many. But also, I'm working on a libretto for an opera um, by a Stanford faculty member, Jonathan Berger. Who, and mm -hmm. it, it's about um, the war in Vietnam, and it's about a helicopter pilot who intervened in a massacre. So it mm. sounds like a very, very serious subject, and it is. Um, but I've been really loving collaborating on that with the composer and um, the director, performer, 
and it would be put to music. And, mm -hmm. But uh, it, that's a big, big, big steep hill for me to climb because mm -hmm. I've never collaborated in that way because when you write fiction, you're usually writing by yourself. And you, you then show it to people, but it's, it's really, you have a lot of control over it. Mm. Yeah, for better or worse. Mm. Yeah. Is the helicopter pilot Milai? Yeah, actually the helicopter pilot, yes, Milai, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think we, we're, we should come yeah. to a close, but uh, Thank you so much. A couple, it's interesting audience. that you talk about uh, doing uh, opera, because I think one thing is that these novels, I think, lend themselves to film, in a way. And I had suggested to you that Lydia Cassatt reading the morning paper is just already structured to be a film. Yes. And so anyone out there who knows any filmmakers? Well, actually, actually, oh. that one is under option for a film. All right. Yeah, All but right. It's, it's been under option well, for under a Well, under option, yeah. That just means... No, no, she, yes. I, I, oh, I, I really <laughs> hope that this is created. Uh, but she, she's been working on it a long time. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it definitely can work. Yeah, I think so, um, too. Uh, so, okay, well, look, thank you very thank much. Thank you, thank you Harry so much. Harry <laughs> And, and this, this whole conversation will be on the uh, Stanford on iTunes, the How I Write uh, page soon. Thank so, you. Hilton, thank you so much. And check out the other ones. Well, sure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Wonderful and stuff. Yes. Oh, there oh, are yes. books on sale. Her books are on sale outside. The bookstore decided to take one of my books to sell outside. It's actually, it's actually the strangest book I've ever written. So... Forgive me. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Thank you. We need to get up.